psalmist David writes these words by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquities, for it is great. Now may the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word and let God's people say praise the Lord. I hope you don't mind. I kind of want to be down here today, maybe to get a little up close and personal with you. Uh, It is good to be in the house of the Lord, and it's good to see each and every one of you here this morning. If this is your first time here with us at Powell's Chapel, you're a special guest, and we want you to feel right at home. And please don't be shocked and don't be stunned. Our pastor will be back next week, and it will be much better. These words were penned by a man who was called after God's own heart. I want you to remember that throughout the length and breadth of this message. David, the man after God's own heart. Probably the greatest king that Israel had ever known or will ever know until the Lord Jesus Christ returns again. Just a brief summary of this 25th chapter up into verse number 11. Let's go over it just briefly. Listen to what he says. He says, Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. The word Lord there is the Hebrew word Jehovah. It's it's the word that the the Hebrews commonly uh, recognized as the Lord God Almighty. In this particular psalm and in all of the prayers of the psalm, whenever you see the word Lord used, it's the word Adonai. Adonai. In other words, what the Hebrews felt like that they weren't worthy to call on the sacred, holy name, Jehovah. So David uses the word here, Adonai. And he's letting us know right up front, he says, I'm not worthy to even call on his name. So I'm calling him Adonai. Verse 2, he says, Oh my God. And I want you to remember and look at this passage of Scripture and throughout the length of this psalm, over and over again, you'll hear David say the word, Oh. Now, the English language doesn't give us proper uh, definitions and, and relativity to the word, Oh, or the sound of Oh. But it's a word of anguish. It's a word of suffering. It's a word of shame. And what David is saying here is not just, oh, he's saying, oh, as in a man in turmoil and shame and pain. So when you read this, you say, he's saying, oh, have you ever been in that situation this morning, child of God, whenever the Spirit of God came to you and showed you who you really were, maybe showed you and brought to your memory some of the mistakes that you had made in your past and caused you to say, oh, my God. Oh my God. That's what David is feeling right now. David is remembering back in his mind, back in his youth. For at this particular time, David's an older man. He's 60 plus years old at this time. And it's still haunting him the recollections of his youth. Of the youthful lust that he had and the mistakes that he made in his youth. And it's causing David here to really get a grip on himself. And he's saying, oh, oh the pain. The misery that haunts me whenever I go to pray. 
He says, oh my God. Looks at the fist though. He says, I trust you. That's a redeeming quality here that we see in David. Now, this psalm here is not talking about a child of God in their pre-converted days. It's not talking about a time whenever we were, before we knew the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, before we was washed in the blood. This is a man who walked with God, walked after God, and as I told you earlier in this sermon, he was a man after God's own heart, was he not? But we find the psalmist David here, he's recollecting and he's saying, oh, but God, I trust you. I don't trust myself, but I trust you. Listen to what he says here. He says, I trust you. Let me not be ashamed. Let me not be ashamed. Let those words sink into us there for just a moment. Let me not be ashamed, God. Let me not be ashamed and let not my enemies triumph over me. Now, there's there's several different ways enemies can approach each and every one of us. There's those spiritual enemies that haunt us in our minds that bring back our recollection things, mistakes that we've made in our youth. But there's also those enemies that are physical. You may be dealing with some physical enemies here this morning. You may be dealing with drug addiction. You may be dealing with alcohol. You may be dealing with lust. You may have some adultery. You may have lies. And, and we're not talking about the deep, terrible sins that we that we think about in our world today. But we're thinking about those times where we harbor anger in our heart whenever we look at another brother and sister and there's something there that we can't get over that's sin and what David is praying for in this particular situation is not just the lust of his youth but he's talking about the enemies of his soul that's keeping him from the victory that each and one, every one of us are seeking to have let not those enemies he's praying triumph over me Yea, let none none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. He says, show me thy path, O Lord, and teach me. Isn't that a good prayer for all of us to have? Lord, show me your path. Not only show me your path, but walk with me and teach me in your ways. What David is saying here. Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been ever of old. Let me stop right there for just a moment. and Let me, let me tell you a little bit of history here uh, in, in, in myself. When I was a young Christian, I was acquainted with an old deacon. I loved him. I looked up to him. His name was Brother Jimmy Orme. Me and him used to meet over at the Zion Hill Baptist Church and we would meet on Tuesday nights and we would pray. And that's all we'd do. We'd sit there and we'd talk and we'd pray. Me being a young convert, Brother Jimmy being in the way a long time, I can remember Brother Jimmy getting on his knees and talking to God. I can remember how Brother Jimmy would actually quote passages of Scripture. He would get down on his knees and in his prayer he would quote Scripture. And the young man that I was, and I didn't understand what he was doing. And, and I asked him one time, I said, Brother Jim, God knows the Scriptures. You don't have to quote it to Him. You don't have to tell Him about it. He said, yes, I do, Brother Frank. What God wants each and every one of us to do, whenever we pray and whenever we confront Him, say, look here, God, you said it, now do it. 
And that's what Brother Jim was doing. And that's what we need to learn to do is stand on the Word of God, hold it out there and say, God, You said it, now do it. You said if I'd confess my sins, You'd be faithful, You'd be just to forgive us my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. God, You said it, do it. Amen? Do it. I didn't understand that as a young man. He says, remember, remember your loving kindnesses. That's what David's praying for. Lord, remember your loving kindnesses and your tender mercies toward me when you see me in my very worst state, and that's where God does. You know, we may be able to hide from the preacher and the deacons and our Sunday school teachers. We may be able to hide ourselves from our brothers and sisters in Christ. But we can't hide from God. And you know what's the amazing thing about God and His grace? He sees us at our very worst, Brother Mike. And He still loves me. He still loves me. When He sees me at my very worst. Look at what it says here. He says, I want you to remember your tender mercies, but don't remember the sins of my past. Put those behind you, Lord. Nor my transgressions. Now, transgressions is a word which means breaking the law, willful law of God. In other words, you knew that the Word of God said it, the law of God said it. God said don't do it, but you did it anyway. David says, please, Lord, don't remember those things against me. Look at what else he says. According to your mercies, remember thou me for thy goodness sake. You know what mercy is? Well, I'm glad you asked because I want to tell you. There's a world of difference, brothers and sisters, between the word grace and mercy. Mercy speaks out and it says, Jeremy, I'm not going to give you what you deserve, son. I'm not going to give it to you. Whereas grace says, Brian, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve, brother. I'm going to give you grace. That's what we need. We need God's mercy and God's grace every day, every moment of the day, every minute, every second, we need it. And David realized that. He says, God, I need your mercy. I need your grace. Listen to what else he says here. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore I will teach sinners in the way. The meek or the humble here will he guide in judgment, and the meek or the humble here will he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth, such as keep His covenant and His testimonies. Here we're getting down into the message now. Look at verse 11 real closely with me, knowing what you know now about what David has just said in this Psalm 25. He says, Now, for thy name's sake, for thy name's sake, oh, there's that word again, oh, Lord, pardon mine iniquity for it is great brothers and sisters there's a lot there's a lot of reasons why i love the word of god there's a lot of reasons why i love it but one of the main reasons that i love the word of god especially the psalms is because i can relate to it i can relate to it i could i could say those words right there i could say oh lord for thy great name's sake, pardon mine iniquity, for my iniquities are great. The thought I have this morning as I bring this message 
is I want to present to you this morning a great Savior for great sinners. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, does it not that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God? Even at our very best state, the wise man Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes that our very best is nothing more than a soap bubble when it's compared to the righteousness of God. That's where we stand. I can say these words and mean them because they relate to me. I want you to notice something about what David says here in this verse. There's three things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about his penitence or his repentance first. Look at what he says here. Oh, mine iniquity. Oh, mine iniquity. What had David done? He had stopped. He took a look at his life. He took a look at his thoughts, his ways, his actions, his words that he's used, the things that he's done. And David says, Lord, I need a pardon here. Notice what he does here. He doesn't blame it on anybody. He doesn't blame his iniquities on anybody else. He doesn't say it was because of the way I was raised that I am what I am. He doesn't say it was because of my brother or my sister. It wasn't because of those deacons down there at Powell's Chapel or that preacher up there at Powell's Chapel. It wasn't because of him. It wasn't because of that wife of mine. He owns it. He says it's mine. I did it. And that's what each and every one of us need to face up to this morning. That when we sin, it's nobody's fault. It's not even the devil's fault. It's ours. David owns up to it. And he says, Lord, they're mine. They're my sins and they're my iniquities. And I need a pardon for it. He felt this. As, as I said here in Romans chapter 7 and verse number 24, David is not the only man that ever felt this way. The Apostle Paul felt this when he said, Oh, wretched man that I am. Job said in the book of Job chapter 40 and verse number 4, he says, Behold, I'm a vile man. Oh, Peter says over there in Luke chapter 5 and verse number 8, I'm a sinful man, O oh Lord. But the question, the question this morning is this. And I'm not asking it about Peter. I'm not asking it about Job. I'm not asking it about Paul. I'm asking it about us. About me. And you. Have we come to the place in our life this morning where that we can say, Oh Lord, pardon me. Forgive me. For I've sinned. I have sinned. This message this morning is not only for the one who is outside of Christ, who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, because He is a great Savior. But it's also for that person like David here, who's walked with the Lord, and is walking with the Lord now. But somehow or another, sin has crept up as it did David. Turn over the book of Second Samuel. I want to give you just a little bit of history about this, this man after God's own heart. 
And, and folks, it ain't it ain't what you think it is. A lot of people think that the devil is out here. He's in a red suit and he's got a pointy tail. He's got a pitchfork in his hand. And, and, you know, he's going around trying to scare people. That's not who Satan is. Satan is cunning. He's wise. He's more powerful than you want to take him on. I've heard people stand up and say, but tell the devil to come on. I can handle him. No, you can't. No, you can't. You can't handle him at all. Let me tell you what happens here. David, like I said, the greatest king Israel ever knew or will ever know until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Look at what happens here. And this could very easily happen to any one of us. So don't stick out yourself right your chest at me and say, no, preacher, that'll never happen to me. It will, it can. So be on your guard for it. Look at what it says here. This is in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse number 1. This is the record of David himself. He says, and it came to pass after the year was expired. This is the springtime whenever the kings go out to battle. At the times when the kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and they besieged Rabah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. There's the first thing. There's the first thing. There's the first step in David's downward spiral. Instead of being where he was supposed to be, on the front lines with his men, on the battlefield, if you will, for his Lord, he says, ah, Joab, you handle this one. I'm going to hang back. I'm going to take a break. Step one, down. And it came to pass in the evening tide that David arose from off his bed. He done took him an afternoon nap. He's fresh. Got nothing to do. He's took his nap and now he's going to stroll around his palace. And he's walking on the roof of his palace. This big flat roof. Look at what it says. He walked upon the roof of the king's house and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Step two. David was lazy. David starts to look. Now David is going to lust. David sent and inquired after the woman. He could have stopped right there. Couldn't he? He could have stopped right there and went back into his house and says, no, 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 no. But because Satan is cunning and he slipped up, he's, he's lurking around like a lion. He's trying to see who he can devour. That means even you, child of God, don't think just because you have the blood of Christ applied to you, nor I, that we are exempt from the temptations of Satan. He says, he inquired. He looked, he lusted, now he's going to lunge. He inquired of the woman and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sends his messengers, brings her to him. They sleep together. He thinks, well, I got away with that one. No problem. Nobody's seen it in the kingdom. I done slid that under the rug. Till he gets a message one day from Bathsheba says, I am pregnant. Kind of knocked the winds out of his sail, would you say? 
That's what sin does. The pleasures of sin for a season. Moses was not willing to abide in. And sin does bring pleasure. Yeah. Don't look at me like you're surprised. It does. You know it does. But it's for a season. It's short-lived. David's repentance or his penitence here, he remembers. He says, God, please, don't remember those things against me. David is still remembering. You may be thinking this morning, child of God, you know, we're Baptists. We believe in one saved, always saved. Sure do. Truly saved. Yeah, I do. I do believe that. I believe that once you're under the blood of Jesus Christ, there's absolutely nothing to separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. But let me tell you something. Because sin pays. And because we reap what we sow. Yeah, you're forgiven. And you'll go to heaven. But you'll be a crippled priest. You'll suffer. And it may bleed into your children and their children. Sin does pay. Remember that. Oh, yes, we shout the praises of glory and we thank God we're saved, the shield of the day of redemption. I agree with that 100%. The child of God don't think God's not mocked. Whatever a man soweth, that shall he David's repentance was their minds died down. I can't blame anybody. I'm owning up to it. And that's what we have to do. When we go before God, we can't say, Now, Lord, if you'd have put me in a different situation, that would have never happened to me. And we can't say, Lord, you know, if you'd have gave me a little more strength there, I'd have never done that. Or if you'd have had me in a different church, if you, you know, if I'd had a different mate or something else, one thing, you know, we can come up with all kinds of excuses on what would make us not do what we did. But what we have to do is we have to own it. We have to know that we did it. And we say, Lord, it's mine. That's repentance. That's repentance. It's not coming down the aisle and shaking the preacher's hand or bowing at an old-fashioned altar, praying through. It's none of those things, but it's repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And repentance is saying, I'm going a different direction. I'm not going to do that no more. David's penitence or his repentance here is, oh, mine iniquities. And number two, turn back with me now to Psalms 25. Number two, his petition. Here is his petition and my petition and the only petition that will ever work when you go before the Lord for forgiveness. Lord, pardon. Not a big, long, drawn-out thing. It's not like you've got to have a bachelor's degree in theology to go before the Lord and expound to him what you want him to do. No. David puts it simple here. Pardon. Lord, I need it. The word pardon here is a judicial term. It's one that's used in the court. And what he's saying here, God, you're the, you're, the, you're the king. You're the judge of all of heaven. And I stand before you. And I'm guilty. I know I'm guilty. You know I'm guilty. Lord, what I need is a pardon. I need for you to say, I am cleared. I'm not guilty. And don't think for one minute that all God has to do is say, okay, you're done. God has to be just, but yet the justifier of those who come unto Him, right? 
Our sins have to be paid. Our wrongdoings have to be made right. The book of Romans teaches us that He is not only the just, but He is the justifier of all those that come unto God by Him. So what God has to do, your sins and my sins have to be paid. My sins are under the blood of Jesus Christ. It wasn't as though God just swept them under the rug. It's not that, oh, He takes your sins and He places them under the rug and He just winks at them and says, ah, it'll be alright. You just start doing the best you can. No sin cost. Cost having the best it has. In the Lord Jesus Christ. David's petition, and it's the only petition that will work. He knew his guilt. He knew he was, he, he, he deserved punishment, but he said, Lord, just pardon me. Would you grant me And then, number three, David's plea. He says, Lord, for thy name's sake, pardon mine iniquity, for it's great. How can great sinners find pardon? What plea can a great sinner give for his pardon? What argument? can a great sinner give or offer to a God for pardon? David doesn't seek his pardon on his good deeds. Neither can we. He doesn't seek to say, Lord, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. You know, this is the time of the year. Uh, I think you all remember that, you know, New Year's is when we, what do you call it, turning over new leaves, making resolutions. And all that stuff. David realized that a resolution wasn't going to help. New Year's resolution wasn't going to help David. It won't help you. Change life now. What about you know what I can do in the future? You know future compensation. So what I'll do this, 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 and this. You know, like we're trying to make a deal with God. You know, for the multitude of our services for the Lord. Uh, you know, what about you know if I just pray more? What if I just study more, Lord? What if I do this, 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 and this? No, what David realized is the reason that you and I must understand that the only way that you and I get pardoned is for God's glory. If God saves someone in here today, it'll be for God's glory. It won't be because of this preacher or whatever. It'll be because God saved you for His glory. When God forgives you, it's for His glory. And that's the only way. What are we seeking today? We're seeking God's glory. David's plea, he understood this, that no matter what he could do, it didn't matter if he could cry a bucket of tears, it didn't matter if he prayed all day, he knew that if he was pardoned, it would be because of God's glory. He would receive pardon. And it shows God about four things here real quickly that I want to show you uh, about this, uh, His glory that... Uh, it shows us. Uh, the first thing it shows us, it shows us, number one, it shows us God's power or His ability to save. Flip over really quick to Hebrews chapter 7 and, and verse number 25. You may be here today and, and you may be saying, well, preacher, you, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the terrible things that I've been into in my life. 
Well, let me tell you this, that I serve a God who is powerful enough to save even the deepest of sinners. Even the deepest of sinners. Who saved the Apostle Paul who said he was accused of sinning, who went out and killing Christians. He can save you. Look at what the Bible says here. It says, Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, whom he ever, ever liveth to make intercession for them. That word uttermost. From the guttermost to the uttermost. It doesn't matter what gutter you've been wallowing in, what sin you've been taking part in, God can save you. you preach, I'm just too bad. No, you're not. The blood of Jesus Christ has the power to save. Well, what about me, preacher? I'm a good person. I, I give, you know, I give to the the needy. I, you know, I give, uh, you know, food to people that need it. I, I'm a very good person. Well, let me give you good news. The news says God saved good people. Nicodemus in the John chapter three. He was a good man. He was a religious man. I would be, you know, most people be glad to have him in any church. Well, he was a Pharisee. Well, he, he was up at the upper echelon of the Pharisees. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was well up there. You want to look at religious values? Good guy. You know what? Good people need salvation too. Jesus told Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. Let me tell you something this morning, child of God. If you're here today and you're trusting in your goodness, what you've accomplished, things you've done for the community, how you support this church or any church, how that you don't you don't say these words, you always try to say these words, you're kind. Huh? If you're trusting in that and that alone, you're going to have a rude awakening one day when you stand before the Lord. You know why? Because He'll accept nothing except the blood of His Son. If that's all, and that is all, He'll accept the blood of His Son. It shows us His power to save. It shows us His mercy. The one you sin, you know, earns is the one who has to pardon. David realized that it was against God and God alone that he had sinned. You know, it wasn't against his brothers. It wasn't against anybody in his command. He realized that he had sinned against God. And that's what we have to know. Now, our sins are not against our brothers, even though we may let our brothers and sisters down from time to time. Our sins and our salvation doesn't rest in them. It rests in understanding that I have sinned and I have sinned against God. And I must go to Him for pardon. Not only that, it shows God's grace. There's never one of us here today that deserves God's grace. Now, I, I think you might have signed folks. I do. I really do. Each and every one of us. Come to know you, come to love you, and I think you might have signed folks. As far as I know, you're good folks. But you know what? I don't care how good you are. Ain't every one of us deserves the grace of God. And He gives it to us. Unmerited favor. Undeserved favor. And it shows His wisdom how that He can be just and also the justifier of those who are just. He's able to save to the uttermost. You may be here today and you may be wondering, well, you know, Preacher, why in the world can a person like me, whether you're a good person or whether you've been mean as a snake, 
how can a person like me come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me tell you a little story. Charles Haddon Spurgeon called the Prince of Preachers lived back in the 1800s. His journey carried him over about a four-year span as he was looking, searching, how to be saved. He went to every church denomination that you could think of, asking the question, how can I be saved? What do I need to do to be saved? And they would give him all these things. Well, you you, you kneel at an altar. You, you sign, a, sign a card. You do this. Just kind of like what churches do today. You know, you come on up, shake my hand, you know, and you're okay. There's no nail prints on you. See that? There's nothing for you. You can shake my hand, but it's, it doesn't have anything to do with your justification for saying you can be a member of the church. Let me tell you something. You can be a member of every church in Rutherford County and still go to hell. It has nothing to do with baptism. We baptized little Jackson today in an act of obedience that follows salvation. Baptism is an outward show of something that took place inwardly. You can do all these things, but they won't save you. Spurgeon finally, after a four-year journey, in misery and anguish because of his sinful case, snowing one night, and he made his way to a preaching, they called it, at a little free will Methodist church. He got into the church, and there wasn't but two or three people there. The pastor wasn't even there, so one of the old deacons had to deliver the message that night. He got up and he said, I'm no preacher, but I, I'm willing to stand and deliver what the Lord has handed to me. And he read this verse of Scripture. He read Isaiah chapter 45 and verse number 22. I want you to listen very close to this, this passage of Scripture because in it lies the key. He says, look unto me. Now, it doesn't take a lot of will to look, does it? It doesn't take a lot of power to do that. He said, just listen. Look unto me and be ye saved, all ye enters of the earth, for I am God. There is none other. If you're here this morning, you're seeking salvation. The Holy Spirit has dealt with your heart and you see yourself as a great sinner. Let me point you to a great Savior who says, look unto me. Be ye saved. For I am God. And you don't need to look anywhere else. You may be here, born again, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. But you might be saying like David, Lord, don't remember my past youthful lust. I need forgiveness. I need forgiveness. You know, just because we're saved don't mean that we don't come to God and say, Lord, forgive me. We do it all the time. I do. You know why? Because I'm a great sinner. And I need, I must have a great Savior. Don't look anywhere else. Let me tell you something this morning, child of God. That same great Savior Jared, if you come, please. We'll have a song of invitation. You may be here this morning, and you may be having the same plea that David had. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquities. Lord, save. My iniquities are great. I need a great Savior. I need a great Savior.
you need him today. Do you need him today? What are we singing, brother? Why are we singing?